Today we're continuing on in this series about sustainable hope and we started with accessing what we need and then last week we talked about our relationship between expectations and a sustainable hope and how sometimes we need to elevate those expectations. So for today we're actually going to now look at some practices. Like, really, how are we cultivating a sustainable hope through the things that we practice, through the things that we try each and every day? So we're going to be looking at a, a Hebrew scripture out of Jeremiah 29, and that's going to really flow. We're going to dig deep into that, but we're also going to pull in a little bit from 1 John to kind of help get a sense of really what Jeremiah 29 is talking about. And when we're thinking about Jeremiah 29, we've got to keep a couple of things in mind. One is that it is a book based upon a prophet that was speaking during the time of exile. Judah was taken into exile by Babylon in 598 BCE. And so we have to know that the Babylonian Empire rose up. It became very powerful in what is today the Middle East. Babylon is actually located in today's modern Baghdad. And that we have this sense that as they are pushing forth, they begin to rule particular areas. And in 598, the ruling class of Jerusalem of Judah is going to be taken into exile back to Babylon. So about the top 1% is going to be taken to Babylon. The rest of the people, they will be there, but they are living under Babylonian rule. Ultimately, though, the Persians will come in, the Medes and the Persians will come in and overtake the Babylonian Empire, and King Cyrus the Great of Persia will allow the Jews in Babylon to return to Jerusalem. And so that's going to happen long about 539. So an extended period of time, right, of them being in exile. And there's a lot of angst. There's a lot of being very unsettled with this exile. They did not choose it. They did not want it. They were forced into it. And so the prophet is speaking to the people. The prophet is speaking to the ruling class that is now in Babylon. The prophet is speaking to the people with power. The, the prophet is speaking in such a way of saying, here's what's going on, here's the truth of the matter, and here's how we're going to go forward. So we're going to begin in Jeremiah, the 29th chapter. The prophet Jeremiah sent a letter from Jerusalem to the few surviving elders among the exiles, to the priests and to the prophets and to all the people Nebuchadnezzar had taken to Babylon from Jerusalem. The letter was sent after King Jeconiah, the queen mother, the court officials, the government leaders of Judah and Jerusalem, and the craftsmen and smiths had left Jerusalem. It was delivered to Babylon by Elash, Shepan's son, and Gomerah, Hilakai's son, two men dispatched to Babylon's King Nebuchadnezzar by King Zedekiah. 
So we get this sense. Jeremiah knows who he needs to talk to. He knows who he needs to connect with. He knows that if he's going to get this message to the community, if he is going to change the dynamics, if he's going to say, hey, you know what? God has something for us. God has something for us of how to live in this during this time of exile, during this difficult period of time. He's got to get it in the hands, into the ears, into the minds of certain people. And so it really brings up this sense of this practice of who are we connecting to? Who are we communicating with? Do we connect and communicate with people that actually take us from a position of surviving to thriving? Do we communicate with people because they agree with us? Do we communicate with people who only think like us? Who are we communicating and connecting with in our life in all various ways, right? Because we have many realms to our lives. Who are we connecting and communicating and facilitating conversations with in our lives? And that is really a practice. We've often heard, you know, older generations say that letter writing, they would write and write. Every day, they would write somebody new. That is a practice. In fact, most of our life, we are practicing something. Usually, we have it in terms of, say, we practice for sports. We practice for tests. We practice driving a car. We practice instruments. Like, there's all these things, right, where we are practicing because we want to succeed and get better. But what we have to know is that everyday kind of things, we are practicing and when we are practicing, are we trying and learning from our successes and failures and then applying it to the next time? And so for Jeremiah, he is starting with the practice of who he is communicating with, how he is connecting so that the people can have a word from God, so that they can move in this state of exile from surviving to thriving, that they can have some sustainable hope because the exile isn't much fun right now. The exile is like one of those things where they don't want to do it, and yet that's the reality. That's where they find themselves. Continuing on in Jeremiah, the 29th chapter, verses 4 through 7. The Lord of heavenly forces, the God of Israel, proclaims to all the exiles, I have carried off from Jerusalem to Babylon, Build houses and settle down. Cultivate gardens and eat what they produce. Get married and have children. Then help your sons find wives and your daughters find husbands in order that they too may have children. Increase in number there so that you don't dwindle away. Promote the welfare to the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for for it because your future depends on its welfare. All right, so Jeremiah knows who he's communicating with, and he starts by saying, here's what I need you to proclaim. You are all position, in positions of power in the community or influence in the community, and here you've got to give some hope to the people, but here's what you're going to tell them. You're going to tell them what they have to practice. That they're actually, instead of grumbling and being upset of where they are, and this is not what they expected, this is not what they wanted, that instead they've got to learn how to live with it. They've got to learn how to live and practice living into this new reality that they find themselves. 
It's kind of like the kid where, and we probably, most of us have experienced this, right? You get to the dinner table and sitting in front of you is a big plate of broccoli or maybe it's green beans. It's some kind of food you don't really want to eat. And the parent says, three bites, you gotta, we, we gotta try, we gotta practice, we gotta work on this, and then the tears start, right? I don't wanna, this is not, and, and it almost sounds like, right, it starts to ramp up that the kid like starts to have a full on meltdown over having three bites, and it's like, no, wait, my life has ended in this moment. And so to really begin to think about that, right? In terms of what Jeremiah is saying, like, I know you don't like it. This is not what you expected. This is not what you wanted. This is not how you imagined, envisioned your lives. You are not where you want to be. Your reality is different from what you want. But here's the thing. You're going to have to practice you're going to have to try to live like you want to, no matter where it is. And here's how you're going to do it. You're going to work on relationships, right? Because he says, get married and have children, then help your sons find wives and your daughters find husbands. Hey, guess what? Not only do you have to work on the relationships you are cultivating, but you've got to work on relationships with others, for others, You've got to be that presence, that example of what a relationship needs to look like even though you don't like the situation at hand. But then he says something really interesting. Promote the welfare to the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it because your future depends on its welfare. I need you to practice. I need you to work on making the place that you are that you don't like a better place. That you leave it better than what you found it. That you have to work for the good of where you are even if you don't like it. Even if you don't like the situation, you don't like the context, you don't like what's happening, you don't like all the people around you. It does not matter that you don't get to sit and just complain about it. This is not what I wanted. It's all falling apart. I don't like my neighbors. Okay, so what are you going to do to help make it better? And that it's not just... You're going to pray to God about it in the sense of prayer being this passive thing. Prayer is a conversation with God, but instead Jeremiah's like, it's also, he's adding another dimension to prayer. Prayer is not just passive, but instead it's an engagement with God that propels us forward into the work with God. That it's not just this passive, I ask for something, I want something, I'm going to sit back, hey God, can you give it to me? But instead, it's actually an active engagement of saying, here's what I want, here's what I'm conversing with you about God. Now, let's get, let's get into the work of it. That prayer is this element of strengthening and building up and propelling us forward as we're conversing with God about it, of where is God leading us as we're struggling in whatever it is. Jeremiah is like, you got to practice some prayer here. 
You've got to practice this conversation with God. You've got to practice these actions. You've got to practice that you are going to bring about good in the place that you are, even if you don't like it. Jeremiah is building us into this sustainable hope that as we're seeking it out, realizing there are certain practices we must engage in if we are going to have a sustainable hope. That God is going with us in it. That God has not left us and God is propelling us forward. Continuing on in verses 8 through 9 of Jeremiah 29. The Lord of heavenly forces, the God of Israel, proclaims, Don't let the prophets and diviners in your midst mislead you. Don't pay attention to your dreams. They are prophesying lies to you in my name. I didn't send them, declares the Lord. 1 John 4, verse 9 and verse 11. This is how the love of God is revealed to us. God has sent His only Son into the world so that we can live through Him. Dear friends, if God loved us this way, we also ought to love each other. So Jeremiah, he's like, okay, how are you going to know where God is leading, right? If we're in conversation with God and we want a particular thing or we think we need a particular thing, and how do we know that it's God and not something else? Because God talks about dreams, and being able to imagine a new reality and the new possibilities. But what Jeremiah here, he's like, you need to be very careful of those diviners and prophets in your midst who are misleading you. Because what was happening is the people were like, okay, so I want to go back to Jerusalem. Find me somebody who's going to tell me what I want to hear. Find me a yes person. Find me a person that's going to agree with me. And Jeremiah's like, whoa, wait, hold up, wait. That, that's not God. A yes person, somebody who just agrees with you or someone who just gives you everything you want is not God. And you need to be questioning that. You need to be questioning of where God is, how God is at work. And so to begin to take up that practice of who are we listening to, why are we listening to them, how are we navigating and asking where is God? That is a practice. Where is God leading us? And if we're not like sure, is this of God? Is this God's wisdom? Is this God's guidance? We have to first ask, where's the love? Where is the love in the situation? How is love at work in this situation? If we're like, wait a minute, is this God or is this not? Is this just what I want? Is there something more? That we begin to step back and ask questions. And so that practice of hitting pause and going, wait a minute, I gotta, I gotta pray, I gotta listen, I've gotta look for some guidance. Is this of God or is this just what I want? Am I pushing what I want and trying to say that that's God? And so Jeremiah's like, just, just chill. Just chill for just a moment because God's at work. God hasn't stopped working, but you need to understand of who and why you are listening. And if you're only listening to things that you want to hear, continuing on. 
verses 10 through 11 of chapter 29. The Lord proclaims, when Babylon's 70 years are up, I will come and fulfill my gracious promise to you back in this place. I know the plan I have in mind for you, declares the Lord. They are plans for peace, not disaster, to give you a future filled with hope. 1 John 4, 16. We have known and have believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and those who remain in God, who remain in love, remain in God, and God remains in them. All right, so if you're wondering, if you're like, okay, I'm kind of asking questions, I'm trying to do this practice of where is God, how is God leading, like, here's the next question to follow up with. The next question that even though we may sense they've been, you know, this whole thing of 70 years, it really wasn't actually that long. We think there's a couple ways they're timing that historically. But this sense of they've been there a long time and they're like, has God left us? They're asking that question, which is good. And Jeremiah is like, no, no, no. God's bringing peace and not disaster. So whoever you're listening to, where is their peace instead of disaster? Where is the good coming out of the situation? And we talked a little bit about that last week with the elevated expectations that God is working tenaciously and will not quit to bring peace and joy and good out of any situation. God doesn't create the bad. God doesn't create the disaster. And here Jeremiah is like, pay attention. Listen up. Like if you're asking the questions and who to listen to, where is the peace coming? Where is that love connecting? Because as 1 John says, love is of God. And so that practice of looking, of asking, where is the good coming out of a situation? Maybe that's God. Where is the love in this situation? That might be God right there. Where is the peace, not the disaster? Because so often, right, we get sidetracked by disasters, right? You ever go down a road and there's an accident on the side and everybody slows up at the accident? Not because that's safer necessarily, but because everybody's looking. It's so easy to get focused upon the things that are disastrous, the things that are falling apart, the things that are wrong with fill in the blank and to begin to shove aside, wait a minute, where's the good coming out of this? Where is God's love? Where is God's peace? Where is God's joy? Where is God's celebration? How is God at work in this moment? And that is a practice that begins to cultivate that hope. Because Jeremiah is talking about a hope that is sustainable through more than 60 years of being in exile of being in the context they don't like, of being in a place they're like, man, I no, I don't like this one bit. Having generations be in a context that they are not overly comfortable with and that they're kind of fighting against or feeling that tension that Jeremiah is like, no, 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 no matter what, you can practice looking for the good, looking for where God is and beginning to follow, beginning to engage, beginning to engage in that work exactly where you are. Continuing on, Jeremiah 29 verses 12 through 14. When you call me and come and pray to me, 
I will listen to you. When you search for me, yes, search for me with all your heart, you will find me. I will be present for you, declares the Lord, and I will end your captivity. I will gather you from all the nations and places where I have scattered you, and I will bring you home after your long exile, declares the Lord. 1 John 4, 18. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear expects punishment. The person who is afraid has not been made perfect in love. Jeremiah ends with, listen, God's going to bring good out of this. God's going to bring us home. It may not be on our timeline in the way that we wanted, in the way that we imagined it, but God is bringing us together in ways that we can't fully understand. But there is this hope, this sustainable hope that God is continuing to work. And 1 John here, what we read with 1 John actually gives us our final practice that Jeremiah has been alluding to all along, but hasn't really said directly. 1 John says it right to us. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear expects punishment. The person who is afraid has not been made perfect in love. So it's that sense, that practicing of moving aside our fear to know the love, that not letting those fears consume us, because fears come up all the time, right? There are all kinds of fears, and they pop in ways that are unexpected. Sometimes we're even going along well, and boom, fear, right? And so that we need to be suspicious. We need to be questioning that when someone uses fear to guide us, or when fear is used as the answer that we need to be suspicious and go, wait a minute, I don't, I don't think that's God right there. There are threats in this world. There are real challenges that we have to face. But here, First John is like, don't let that fear consume don't let it take over because you're going to drive out the love. You are going to set this love aside. You're not going to be able to know that connection with God that is constantly there and saying, I'm still working. I'm still working because we get focused on how everything is falling apart. What's going to happen next? I don't know. We felt that before, right? We felt those moments where the fear begins to rise and we can't think of anything else but that. And so we have shoved that love, that connection with God aside. And so here, 1 John is challenging us with that practice of don't let the fear consume. Begin to look for the love, look for that connection practice setting the fear aside practice questioning the fear and you know what is that too big right now you know maybe maybe this isn't totally maybe this is consuming too much of of being able to set aside fear is a practice it is an everyday kind of thing because like i said right Fears come in all shapes, sizes, contexts, when we are least expecting it. And so that practice of setting aside 
and looking for the love is really a main factor and are we going to be able to create live into experience sustainable hope because if we're living in fear hope is not a hope i despair is settling in right and so that challenge for us from jeremiah and first john are what are the practices what are the things we are trying what are the things we are engaging in, in our words, our actions, our thinking, our patterns of thinking. Like, what are we engaging in that maybe is not letting us move from surviving to thriving, that really is disconnecting us from God's love, is really putting us in a place of fear, is really stopping us from communicating and connecting with others. What are the practices that we need to be like, nope, done with that. And where should we be focusing? Where should we be practicing? Where should we be trying so that we have this deeper connection with God? So that we have this sustainable hope that even though the people were in exile for 60 plus years, that they were still able to cultivate a sustainable hope that moved them far past optimism. Just being optimistic and saying, no, 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 God is here. God is working. God is with us. And so that is our challenge today. How, what will we, how will we practice, try, so that we can have a sustainable hope. Amen.